My guest today is Madison Fisher, a Canadian competitive climber. She is my first guest, and I was rather nervous throughout the conversation. Please pardon my blunders. She has very interesting perspectives on meditation, training, and running her own businesses. Please enjoy the show. Right, I'm going to be a bit nervous. This is my like first time interviewing someone else, and it's well, I mean, you're quite successful yourself. So um, I'm just going to like okay, she was something, yeah. So um, can you just start by you know introducing yourself and um, what what are the areas you feel that you're competent at, or what are the areas that you're passionate at? Okay. Uh, my name is Madison Fisher. Um, I'm a sport climber on the Canadian Open Bouldering National Team. Uh, I'm really into meditation. Uh, I don't have any social media accounts. And uh, I'm very, very strict, as most, most athletes are, um, on their diet. So those are three things that are taking up the majority of my time. Uh, right. I also mm-hmm. have two businesses that I'm starting. So um, I'm trying to work that in with my training schedule. Damn, there's a lot to talk about. So um, let's just jump around a bit. And you mentioned that you are social media free. And you also, you, are, you said that you're a huge fan of meditation. So um, do you start these two things together or did they like just come about, you know, one after another? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. They probably did come one after the other subliminally. Um, meditation was probably the first one to enter my life. But I'd say... Um, just meditating more made me more aware of like how I'm thinking. So when I was on social media, I was more aware of how it was negatively impacting me. So when I uh, deleted social media as a result of um, being really aware of what's happening, um, my meditation practice went up in frequency. So I'd say it was like a positive feedback loop there where the more I meditated, the more I realized social media should be gone. And then when I deleted social media, meditation also increased and then of course social media dropped right off right so what do you um, what made you get started on meditation in the first place um well my stepdad was really into meditation and he he's always bringing good ideas to the table um it wasn't really because of sport usually in sport they do say you know meditation is probably a good idea but i was so young when i started meditating that i wasn't at a high enough level for anyone to recommend it really so yeah, it was it was really my stepdad who who introduced the idea to me and gave me some resources to get started on that. How old were you then? Like were you like um pretty young or do you get exposed to idea when you were a kid or I mean for me yeah. I get exposed to idea when I was a teenager. But I still I just read some books here and there, I wasn't very consistent. So how was your process of getting to meditation like? Yeah, so I think I was about uh maybe fourteen or thirteen. Um yeah, like I started climbing when I was uh, 11, about to turn 12. So it wasn't too long after I started. Um, but it really, like as soon as I started, it definitely made a difference. And it, uh, I'd say my biggest uh, resource that I had when I was getting good at climbing was actually the fact that I was able to be so open and, and talk really honestly about uh, how I was feeling about things or um, the state of, you know, where training's at and just being really honest with myself. And it was a big help when I was debriefing uh, competitions or um, just anything that really required that kind of level of honesty and uh, 
evaluating your own performance. So, yeah, I think it was about 13 when that started. Right. So do you have the same process throughout the years or do you change things about your meditation process? Um, I'd say it stays the same. It's definitely changed just because it's it's been evolving. Like I discovered new practices and um, new places to meditate and new apps to use and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's just evolved. I haven't really changed it based on when there are competitions. Um, there was one time where I had a really big competition that I was feeling really nervous about. Um, it was actually the American bouldering national championships. And of course I'm not American. Um, and when you're a Canadian competing in America, you always think, um, you know, they're so much better. The population's so much higher, the caliber's way higher. Um, and especially as a national team athlete in Canada, I was worried about going to the competition and uh, not even making semifinals. And, you know, what would that look like to the rest of Canada or to the rest of the world where I'm competing in World Cups but can't even make semifinals at American National Championship? Um, so I meditated a lot on that topic before I went to that competition. And I ended up doing, I did end up making semifinals pretty easily. Um, didn't quite make finals, but I had a really good performance, I'd say. Um, I was still pretty nervous for the competition. And I was still really out of place, but meditation really helped me not make that a disastrous competition. So whenever I'm, I'm really feeling something before a competition, I try to meditate on it and get to the reason why. Um, but otherwise, my meditations really evolved from kind of just sitting for 10 minutes before my session started at the gym, um, meditating to having guided meditations that I do throughout the day. Um, these days, I try to meditate between my two sessions every day so that I can get some cognitive recovery going. Right. So you talk about two sessions of training, right? Yeah. Can you talk about more about the cognitive um, recovery that we just mentioned? Yeah, so rock climbing is a really uh, high-intensity sport. You kind of have to be getting psyched up all the time and um, doing crazy explosive moves and all that. So um, when I get back from the gym, I have a second session to do later in that day. And usually it's either a weightlifting session or another climbing session. So after my first session of the day, I always try to, on my walk home, um, first I walk through the forest. There's like a detour you can take that takes you through about 30 seconds of forest. Um, and every time I do that, I always take my sunglasses off and take my headphones out so that I can really um, be engaged with nature that I'm walking in. And then I find um, a park on the last couple minutes uh, of the way home. And I uh, just lay in the grass and I meditate for about 10 minutes with a guided meditation. So it sounds um, very, yeah. So yeah. It just sounds very interesting because um, I try to meditate also. And... I think my meditation was more like just um, I'm using the Sam Harris uh, Waking Up app. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, uh, yeah, I, that's exactly what I use. Yeah, so so I, I think I, I was using Headspace a few years ago when I was feeling super stressed in college. And when I stopped for a while because I felt that there was always, it was always the same pattern and I felt that Sam Harris app has more variations. But at the same time, I'm kind of like walking away from the app for now because um, I just read your blog and I think you talk about how you actually split your meditation practice into like various segments right like um just listening to your breath and um listening to your own body like what what is your body telling you what is your mind telling you what are your worries and after that you actually move on to um like visualization imagining like what what outcome that you desire is so can you 
Can you just talk more about that that exact procedure of how how you break down your whole meditation, um, progress? Because it seems like not progress, but the process. It seems like you have um a more walking meditation, and you also have like a sitting meditation before your practices. Yeah. So, uh, when I was when I used to train and meditate before each session, um, it would be generally you start with. Uh, about I think two minutes or five minutes of um, just listening to your breath um, and then you move into discovering like thinking about what is actually bothering you so my first session that I did this meditation before training um, I actually thought about one of my competitors um, because she'd been uh, like on my mind for a long time she's a bit younger than me so it was really tough for me to like I've never experienced someone who's actually younger than me, but competing at the same level as me. So it was a bit of a hurdle to get through. And I think that was actually my first meditation session um, topic uh, that I did in the training room. Um, yeah, so you, you think about what uh, is bothering you and then you basically go into right after that, like you, you time it, um, which is kind of hard when you're meditating because you want to keep your eyes closed and you know, you don't want to have like a beep going off because you're trying to stay relaxed. So about two minutes later, you just go into listening to your breath. Um, and then you just obviously, you know, watch your breaths go in and out, your lungs move and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then five minutes after that, you actually just go into um, a period where you just visualize what you're about to do in the gym. So if I was doing a weightlifting session, which was the majority of my um, training sessions back when I started this, um, you're thinking about what the bar feels like and you're thinking about what you're about to do, how many sets you're going to do, um, what it's going to feel like to have the weight belt on, um, what's going to feel like to have chalk on your hands and just kind of going through the entire session um, cognitively so that you can really be prepared for what you're about to do. So you basically find your problems, um, meditate them away by just, you know, clearing your mind, focusing on your breath, and then you prepare for your session to come. So is your meditation process something you kind of work through with, with your coaches or is it something that's really just by yourself that you just came up with this whole process? Yeah, so this process specifically um, was from my stepdad. It was like my first real meditation practice. So this was what he recommended. Um, of course, I took the details and made them a bit more personalized, but he kind of laid out the, the general framework of what I did. Um, my coaches that I had didn't really, um, they weren't really on the same page with meditation and, and getting to a higher level, um, which is actually one of the reasons that I quit my, um, my first climbing team that I was on. Um, the coaches just weren't quite where I wanted them to be. And especially with meditation, something that's really important for sports and life in general. Um, they just weren't, they weren't, into that kind of thing. So I was like, if, if you're not in this, then maybe we're not the best uh, pairing. So it's just been really my stepdad and I um, who've been making training plans and training together. Cool. So was it, was it because of the meditation that you quit your first um, climbing team? Was it like the main reason? Uh, probably. Um, I, I quit shortly after I won my first uh, youth bouldering national championship. Um, and when I came back, I was looking to really make the left next step. Um, and I was like with the meditation, I was really proving to myself that I was, 
I was ready to take um, a big step towards um, something bigger and really focus a lot of my time on climbing. Um, but they just weren't in the same headspace. Like they weren't actually thinking about me making, you know, World Cup finals or, you know, the open national team, which I eventually did. Um, they were just, you know, it's a local climbing team. They just put in, punched in and punched out kind of thing. So they weren't really invested. So I, I felt like I needed a little bit more if I was going to make it big. Cool. Can you, um, can you walk us through your process of finding another team to train it? Yeah. So I actually never found another team. Um, after I quit that first team, I, uh, I was what, what we called an independent athlete. So um, it was just really me registering for the competitions myself. My stepdad would drive me there um, and I would uh, do my competition, come back. Um, when I quit, I had enough experience to kind of know how all the competitions work and, and all that. So I didn't really need a coach for, you know, explaining the basics to me anymore. Um, so yeah, do you plan to yeah. actually like look for a team or maybe perhaps even like move out of your, I don't know, your hometown or to, to another country to perhaps find people who have, who share the same mindset and the same um, the environment that can support you? Yeah, I definitely have thought about that. Um, recently, I did reach out to a coach that we have at my, um, my current climbing gym um, just to help out a little bit. Uh, it was pretty good. We, we did a little bit of training together at the beginning, but uh, like, again, like I feel like I'm really picky when it comes to coaches and, and people who have input on my training. Um, so again, we weren't quite the best fit. There was, um, there's like a certain uh, area that we are really good and compatible about which is the physical like training and technique kind of um, skills. But otherwise we're not really, we're not like fundamental coach and athlete partnership here. So um, every now and again, I'll, I'll reach out to him, but um, we're really just, I'm kind of on my own still. I really would like uh, a team. I currently train with another um, athlete who has been on the national team before. Um, and we have really good sessions together. I think it really goes to show um, how even adding one more person to your training program can really help you uh, improve and uh, keeps your motivation high when you have like a, an accountability partner to to help you through the day um, and you know just knowing that there's someone doing the exact same thing as you doesn't make you feel quite like an outsider um, because of course at my old gym like that was probably one of the reasons as well like I just no one was really on the same page at all even the athletes um, so again, like I'm really picky with things. Um, I think I found a pretty good training partner right now. Um, but to find an entire team of people like that, I think I would have to outsource it to another country. Um, I've thought a lot about moving to Germany. Um, I actually have family there and I am fluent in German. So, uh, and Germany is actually one of the best, uh, countries for climbing. So it did seem like an interesting idea, but logistically and financially, it's probably better to to stay here um, like either way I think I can make it to where I need to go um, on my own and you know with the system I have right now maybe like a couple months here and there I could go to Germany and, and see what uh, the climate's like over there but uh, yeah I'm pretty content with where I am right now um, but I probably wish I had just one more person that um, could be accountable maybe like um, a competitor of mine because my current training partner is a boy so we don't really compete as much as I would with a female partner. 
So, so do you foresee yourself like building your own team? Because um, I'm not sure how coaching in climbing works, but um, I'm a huge MMA fan and there are some fighters who actually, they are their own head coach, like they employ a certain coach for Muay Thai, a certain coach for uh, BJJ. But overall, how they structure their own training, their own training camp is actually done by themselves. So it seems like you are more geared towards that mentality. So have you ever thought like, instead of just looking for a particular coach, or even just looking for one or two partners, perhaps you can even like form your own team. Yeah, I, um, I think I have thought about that before. I do coach a climbing team at the local gym. Um, it is just a youth competitive team, but it's really like, it's really a good experience to, to, you know, really coach people and actually have a different perspective on, on climbing there. Um, in terms of kind of doing my own thing with a team, uh, like, the closest you'd have to do is get to uh, Montreal in Canada. Um, Montreal is really the biggest place for like the highest concentration of higher level competitors. They also have the best uh, facilities. So if I were to like put together some sort of team, it would have to be in that city and it would be more of the open competitors rather than the youth competitors. Um, but yeah, like I really, I've been coaching for three years now and it's definitely one of the best experiences I've had. Um, the team inspires me like every day. They, uh, there was one day that one of the kids, uh, and I told this to his face and the whole team that the kid tried the hardest that I've ever seen. Like I've never seen another person try that hard. Um, he was just on the wall and he was, uh, like he was he was like falling up a boulder. It was really, really awesome to watch. Um, I can't remember if he ended up getting the boulder, but he was struggling so much and he, he kept persevering. He didn't let go. Um, and I made sure the whole team knew that. So um, definitely if I had a little bit more of that in my life, just more higher level athletes trying that hard on harder things, um, I think that could do me really good. So um, since you're a coach, I'm just curious, um, are there any coaching techniques or any um, principles that you have found as a coach? Because like for myself, I foresee myself, I, hopefully I become a parent in a few years and I think a lot about how to bring up a child, like what are the principles involved. So for your youth team, um, are there any principles of coaching or are there any um, lessons you have learned along the way that help you become a better coach? Yeah, um, I think the biggest one that I learned was not to just give the kids the answer. Um, I found with climbing, of course, being someone who has a lot of experience in competitions and in boulders and all sorts of stuff. Um, I found that when I saw like an obvious mistake from one of the team kids, I would at the beginning rush to just say, you should have done this or you should have done that. Um, luckily I've been running the team with actually the person that I ended up reaching out to, to help coach me. Um, my, uh, the, he's like the head coach of the team. Uh, I reached out to him and he kind of gave me some advice in this area but he basically said, like, lead them towards the answer. So if, if the answer was you had to put your foot on a different hold, then instead of saying that, just ask them a question like, um, where, like, is there another way to do this? Or is that putting you in the best position or something like that to get them thinking? And then uh, what's important is, of course, like your poker face. So when they do like tell you what they think or where they're thinking of going even if right or wrong you kind of have to have that blank stare so you're not giving away enough uh, anything about their answers um because you want that to be as independent as possible 
Um, that said, there are times of year where it is actually important to give them answers. So I think when, uh, when we're not in competition season, it's, it's uh, a time to do a little bit more of the giving out the answer stuff, just so that they are getting a bit more, uh, more uh, experience with the right answers. Um, but when it comes to competition season, um, they're going to be alone when they're doing their climbs. So they have to be able to figure out how to climb it themselves. So it's important that we actually step back. And as much as we want to say something, we have to hold our tongue and just let them make the mistakes themselves. Ooh, that's very, I'm processing that in my mind. I'm just trying to figure out like, it, it seems like, I mean, for climbing, it seems like you have a very clear line of, okay, um, this is like training for competition season. So that's where we tend to be like, let them be more independent and out of like off season training, then you let um, those people be, you know, um, just be more guided. I'm just thinking like, so what about perhaps um, in daily life whereby, um, this is a selfish question again, like if I, I'm raising someone or, or I'm even in a classroom context where I'm teaching someone something and there's no clear competition, um, do you have any thoughts on how you can structure this um, guidance and more independent learning for, for younger children or, or not even children, younger children, but like um, people that you coach in general? Yeah, um... It's, it's, it's kind of hard when it comes to uh, like coaching and dealing with kids because everyone is really different. Um, some people respond a lot better to um, a lot of guidance and some kids are a lot more independent. Um, of course, all of them need uh, like help with their, their climbing or whatever it is they're, they're training or, or learning about. Um, but in the end, you kind of have to like figure out which kid is which um, before you get started into stuff like this. Um, like for example, there's one kid on our team who is really, really quiet. And, uh, at first he was, uh, he really didn't like, like talking to you. He just wanted to climb by himself. Um, and of course, whenever we saw something that needed to be said, we'd say it and we wouldn't actually know if he was, if it was like resonating with him until, uh, a couple months later where he started opening up. Um, and we found, we found out that he really does, um, like take to heart what we're saying. Um, he just doesn't say it or maybe show it at the time. So it's important that you you figure out what kid is which so that you can kind of tailor your experience to them. Ooh, sounds like something that one has to just go through in order to get better. Um, so let's let's make a left turn now and, and talk about social media because I, I think you are very explicit about being social media free. Can you just talk about more about how social media came to your life and at what point do you realize that, hey, I need to cut this out? Yeah, so social media um, was something that basically every kid gets, um, especially in today's age. Um, when I got social media, I think it was like 2012 or 2013 or something like that. Um, so it was right at the beginning um, of social media. Um, I remember the exact day I was on the bus and my friend showed me her Instagram page and said, you should get Instagram. So I said, why not? Um, I got it that night and I think I was in like grade six or five at the time. Um, and I did a lot of uh, um, just like building a little bit of a presence on social media. So I followed all my friends and of course they were already on social media. So that made it pretty easy. Um, and then when I actually got, inst or I got uh, into climbing, 
that's when my social media life kind of exploded. Um, so when I didn't have, when I didn't climb, I really only posted, um, you know, about cats and whatever I was eating that day or whatever. So it's pretty boring things. But when I got um, climbing and all of a sudden I went to competitions and the competitions had photos um, and videos, I wanted to share that. Um, so I ended up sharing a lot of competition climbing photos. And as I got even better and better at climbing, um, Instagram became something that I actually uh, like, like defaulted back to after a competition. Like it was just the, part of the routine, to be honest. Um, so after every competition, I would find the photo I would post the photo and in the caption, I would say something about the competition. So I would say, um, you know, it was a great competition. I placed whatever. Um, I'm really psyched for the next one. Or um, I remember my first big competition that I won on Instagram um, was Canadian Youth Bouldering Nationals. And uh, after that competition, I made it very clear to all my followers that I was going to China after that. So, um, it was like, there was a lot of comments obviously on that saying like, congrats, good job, you know, you know, good luck in China, stuff like that. So that competition was really where the uh, positive reinforcement really started for my, uh, my climbing Instagram. Um, as I, as my uh, competition goals and my uh, competition experience increased, um, my follower count of course also did. So, um, there actually is this really big Instagram account uh, on Instagram called Canadian Climbing News. And if you're Canadian or if you're, you know, any sort of competition climber, you know about this account. It's got like hundreds, it's got like tens of thousands of uh, followers. And um, if you, uh, as a Canadian climber, are featured on this account, you are like gaining a hundred followers, basically. Um, so after a couple competitions later in the years, um, they did repost some of my competition photos and, uh, every single time that happened, I would be glued to my phone for the weekend just to check the comments on that post and the, the comments on my own Instagram. Um, so it was very, very slowly, but surely taking over, um, my life really and how I thought about climbing. And like, as I said earlier, like it did become part of my routine to check the Instagram and to post um, which made it hard, especially after competition, when you're not focused on recovery, you're not focused on, you know, the next, the next day of competition, you're focused on finding photos and posting them so that other people can know what you're doing, which, um, I identified early on, thanks to a lot of meditation I was doing. Um, I identified that that is not how you get better at climbing. Um, you need to stay focused and, uh, Instagram was just becoming such a distraction for me. Um, not only because I was wasting time just scrolling on my Instagram feed and all that, but because it was taking away from my actual competitions, um, especially because of that, that Canadian climbing news account. Um, one competition, again, it was a really big competition that I did really well in. And the most exciting part of the weekend was the fact that Canadian climbing news reposted my, um, my picture. So as soon as that competition really happened, I, I realized it was such a big problem. Um, and then I took a couple steps over the next eight months, I'd say, to finally get rid of it. So do you feel that um, if you were a bit older, like perhaps like as an adult and you got introduced to social media, would the outcome be different or will it still be the same? Um, it would likely be the same because um, outside of the sporting world, it really, it still did have a lot of um, 
negative impacts. Like for example, um, the followers, like the, the fact that you can see when followers um, like are added to your profile or when people unsubscribe from your profile, it's just such a, a stressful um, like little thing there. Um, there's a lot of like anxiety I find when, when I'm like, why did that person unfollow me? Cause you have to think of a reason, right? It's like, oh, my followers are down 10 today. What was that all about? Is my post, is, are my, is my content not very good? Um, like I feel like because I'm such a competitive person, I would always be, um, just wanting that number to be as high as possible. Um, so the fact that they just, they can be dynamic and go up and down on a whim is a really insidious, um, like elements of the, of the app there. So, um, I think the, that fact alone, like that feature is one of the worst things. Um, the same with like likes, like if you, um, post 10 things and, uh, five of them have like lower, uh, like counts than the others, then you're wondering, is this content not good? And then you're all of a sudden you're, you're catering to people who actually like your photos and you're trying to do more of what people like. And you're just forgetting the reason why you were on Instagram in the first place. Right. So have you thought about like hiring someone to actually manage account for you versus, I mean, just, I would imagine that it brings about certain business opportunities. Like for example, sponsorship, um, perhaps um, you get paid to like um, post a photo of you in certain um, year. So have you thought about hiring someone to take care of that so that you can distance yourself from that, you know, the, the daily, um, ups and downs of likes and followers they mentioned? Yeah. Um, so I think I've thought of something similar. So I used to have a phone that I would only conduct social media stuff on. So my, my, my personal phone wouldn't have the apps on it, but um, the social media phone would. And whenever I had new photos, I would just put them into the social media phone and then leave it there. Um, that was like the closest I ever got to like outsourcing the uh, social media. But um of course that didn't work because I'd just go on that phone anyway um, and search through social media. In addition, I'd have to probably like delete Instagram from my, or uh, block it on my browser on my regular phone. Because like, if I knew there was an account out there that had to do with me, I would find it and I would just look at it and see what other people are doing. Um, like I, I think uh, there was a comment on one of my posts recently about this social media topic. And um one, the one person who was commenting compared social media addiction to like any other addictions like alcoholism and they made the comparison like you would never give an alcoholic um, like just a sip of beer or something like that um, and I think it's the same with social media like if I like if you even say we're gonna make a social media account for you but you're not gonna have the password like I'm still going to go and find it because that is like, that's like the little sip that I need to know that there's, there's an account out there and I'm going to be like, I'm going to be doing lots of things because I know I have that social media account out there. Ooh, um, I've quit Instagram also because I realized that it's essentially pointless. Like most of the time I'm just like screwing through pictures of like chicks and you know, um, it doesn't add any value, but I do like Twitter a lot because I find that, um, there are many interesting people there who actually share their thoughts on certain things that are, I would say, um, they don't really get through official perhaps news media because those people are just kind of like out of the norm. So was Instagram like your only social media or? 
Um, yeah, so I had, um, I had Facebook as well. I was pretty active on Facebook. I actually had the two linked together because I think, I think they're connected, right? They're owned by the same company or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Facebook bought Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, uh, I had them connected. So whenever I posted on Instagram, which was like the main one, it was my more popular of the two. Um, it just automatically posted to Facebook. And then of course, when I was on Facebook, I would, um, Facebook's good because it had a lot more, um, it had more potential to post longer things at the time. Um, so I kind of use them for almost the same thing. Uh, a while ago too, I had Snapchat, but I deleted that long before I started meditating or, um, like really like consistently meditating or anything like that, because like Snapchat was probably the worst social media I could, I could possibly think of. Um, and that's solely for the reason of the streaks that you have. Um, so Snapchat, of course, you you post or you um, you take pictures basically of yourself or or whatever you're looking at, and uh, you post it to your story or you send it to people, and they can view it for like 10 seconds and then it goes away. And uh, with all your friends that you have on Snapchat, basically, um, the amount of days in a row that you send photos to each other um, is recorded, so it shows you how long your streak is. And uh, some of my friends, of course, my friends are like 18 year old girls. So um, they're actually like, they sometimes give each other the passwords to their Snapchat accounts so that their friends can maintain their streaks while they're on vacation, which I think is absolutely terrible. Like you can't even, like even on vacation, you can't even like, like forget about your phone for a second. You have to have backup plans. It's like a, it's like having like godparents for your children. Like it's, it's, it's really, um, a destructive kind of, um, app there. So, um, the streaks alone was enough for me to say, no, thank you. Um, I'm not going to be glued to my phone every single day. Like that's what you're committing to, right? Like you have to be on it every day. Um, so Snapchat was always out of the picture. My only two main ones were, um, Instagram and Facebook. I never really got into Twitter. Um, I had like, I tried it cause of course, like you have to try it. Um, but it didn't really take same with like Pinterest or the other, the smaller ones. Um, so it was really just Instagram. That was the, the biggest one. And then Facebook as it tagged along. I see. So, um, this is a big question, but what do you think is, is the future of social media? Um, personally, I feel that there are many people who are addicted to social media, but they don't, they're not aware of it. And it's the technology is still so new that, you know, most, um, politicians, um, are not aware of like the detrimental effects of social media. Do you feel that social media is something that is headed towards ruins or will it be like, I don't know, um, perhaps like secrets whereby you know that the nicotine is terrible for your body, but it's still allowed for you know, most adults to consume? Yeah, um, it's, pro- it's probably not going anywhere, to be honest. Um, I could see Instagram and Facebook like taking... Um, like taking a shadow and maybe another social media account coming in and being the more popular one, um, which is it, actually that thought itself is kind of um, worrying just because when whenever there's something new and shiny, it's just going to have another peak in the interest in social media when there's a new one out there. Um, but I definitely, um, I see people not really like caring, to be honest. Like um, I've been a pretty big spokesperson for anti-social media and um, people, whenever I go to them and say, you know, you should really delete your social media, and I give them a couple of reasons, um, they, all they do is agree and then say, um, 
oh, but I never use it or I don't post very often or, oh, but you know, it's not that bad. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Or I only follow the people who like really inspire me or something like that. So I feel like people will agree with you and they'll say, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. But they'll never think that it actually applies to them when it really does. Um, I know one of my friends, uh, is another member of the national team and um there's a lot of uh social she's really active on social media and like she's really enjoying it and i think um there are varying levels that you can actually have it uh impact you i think for me it hit me probably pretty hard um compared to most people just because how um how competitive i was mixed with um you know trying to get really good in climbing and popular on my blog and all that sort of stuff um but uh, yeah, for her, it's, it's uh, a little bit different and everyone's got different circumstances, but I think, um, you know, even if it only impacts you a little bit, that's still a little bit, right? So um, like it's, it's, it's something that even if it only impacts you a little bit, you should probably like really consider not being on it. Like I know a lot of people are, are into the, uh, the like social media detox where they basically delete the app from their phone for a little bit and then come back on like three weeks later or something like that, which I think is a good step forward to, um, you know, being a bit more uh, open and, and uh, you know, present in the moment. But in the end, they keep coming back to it. And I think that that's almost Instagram's fault because they, they make it so addictive and they make it so um, unavoidable. So I think it's, it's going to be hard if anyone tries to, uh, to get rid of it. Um, they kind of have to have some pretty good reasons and compelling reasons to do it because no person would throw themselves on the sword for this kind of thing um, unless they really believed in it. So I'm trying to really get a little bit more of the, the honest conversations with people because um, otherwise if you just kind of give them an argument, don't let them figure it out for themselves or nurture it or, or really follow up with them at all about it. Um, no change is really going to be happening. Right. So do you actually see any positive um, cases of your friends or your family members who actually, you know, um, drop social media after you talk to them? Yeah. So actually this, this kind of goes back to how I'm really picky about training partners, but my current training partner does not have social media. Um, and I, I almost feel like that's like a, like a barrier to entry. Like you can only be my training partner if you do not have social media accounts. Um, so he deleted it around the time I did, I think a little bit like later, maybe a month or two. Um, and for him, it was also a matter of um, like sponsorships in climbing. Um, you know, of course, like in Canada, it's a long flight. Like we have a lot of long flights over to World Cups. Most of them are either in Asia or uh, Europe. So it's, it's usually pretty expensive if you're from Canada. Um, so sponsorships are on basically everyone's mind over here. So his biggest concern was sponsorship, but you know, because we have such honest and open conversations with each other, um, we were able to get on the same page and um, take a stand together uh, without social media. Um, now I'd say like, he's actually taken it a step further and he's, um, he's like actively against it and he's very, very negative when it comes to social media. We actually are starting a business together and I uh, floated the idea of advertising over Facebook, um, which I realize is uh, a bit of an incongruent argument there. But um, basically the argument boils down to if you're a business and you're trying to make money, um, like maybe 
advertising over social media, getting to your, your market, your target market. Um, like it's, it's just it's such an easy way to do it. Um, I'm not advocating for having a, uh, a business account for the social media, but, um, but just to advertise over social media and, and just, you know, pay for people to do it. Just take the people, get traffic flowing toward the website and turn those into sales. Right. Um, and when I proposed that to him, he was actually a lot more against that than I, uh, than I thought he would be. And it took a little bit of convincing. He had to think pretty deeply about it, which, um, is another kind of benefit of, of training and being around people who are on the same wavelength as you. Um, and he eventually did, uh, come to the conclusion that it's probably a good idea as long as we are um, actively avoiding the negative parts of it. So as long as we're not posting things and watching comments pour in and stuff like that, it could be a pretty uh, beneficial thing. Right. So let me just play like, you know, there was advocate for a moment um, because um, I'm actually looking to start something. My friends also, I've been thinking like how to market the product to people, you know, that you don't really know. Um, I think social media is so great because it lowers the cost of um, advertising that, you know, you don't have much capital and you can still reach a huge group of people. But I think a huge problem is that when you pay these social media companies the advertising revenue, um, they actually get more money and they can pay perhaps their, you know, um, their um, engineers, artificial intelligence engineers to, to do even more research on how to make the app more addictive. So in a way, it's still kind of like contributing towards, you know, um, social media that, that learns how to actually um, keep people glued to their phones even more. Um, yeah. Um, I'd say that when it comes to advertising over social media, I think, especially as a business, you don't want to just get as many people as possible, um, which might sound a bit counterintuitive, but um, I think not all businesses are uh, like mass market focused product. Um, like for example, the business that uh, my training partner and I are starting is not something that anyone would want to buy. It's a very specific niche. And uh, there's uh, like, if we, if we were to advertise over social media, that is um, advertising to everyone and anyone who sees the post. And the reality is um, that's not high quality advertising. And, um, like how often, like in, in, in the end, we're trying to get people to come to our website and subscribe to our feed, right? On our blog. So um, if we were to go on social media, like how often have you actually gone um, on Instagram, seen like a blog post or something that someone's posted somewhere else as it's quoted on Instagram or something like that, go to the website and then subscribe to their link. Like it's very, very rare that that kind of thing happens. Um, I think Twitter is probably a better example for that kind of like subscription thing. Um, but yeah, the reality is advertising over social media is not the best way to do it. Like the, by far the best way to advertise is word of mouth. Um, I recently read a book called purple cow by Seth Godin. And, uh, in it, he talks a lot about how, um, advertising over uh, TV and, and, uh, print media and stuff like that is really out of vogue. And uh, like the best way to uh, advertise is to actually be a remarkable product. And if people, you know, if people see that it's remarkable and they find immense value in your product, then they will tell other people about it. And that is how you're going to get your most important um, customers. Um, 
same with like video blogs and stuff like that. If your blogs are really, really good, people are going to forward the email to their friends and they are going to then subscribe. But just posting it on social media and seeing what happens isn't a very high quality way of getting high quality paying customers. It's maybe a good way to get a lot of traffic to your website, but it's not a good way to get to the people who actually want to pay for your product and really, really need your product because those people aren't just in someone's follower account. They are, um, they are at the climbing gym or they're, they're wherever you find, um, you know, people that are similar to the ones that are going to be buying your, your stuff. Right. Cool. So, um, you want to talk, talk more about the businesses they are starting? You talk about how it's actually um, very specific to a certain group of people. So that makes me very curious. Sorry, could you repeat the question there? Yeah, sure. Um, do you want to talk more about the... You mentioned that you are starting like two businesses, right? Yeah. Yeah, so do you want to just talk more about them? Or is it like still um, under wraps? Or you can't really talk about them? Yeah, I think they're both live now. Both of the websites are um, live. So I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure this is fine. Um, so the first business I have is called, uh, podium popcorn. So it's basically a popcorn company. Uh, it's very healthy popcorn. Uh, sorry. Could you spell, um, could you spell the, the first word? I couldn't catch it. Yeah. So it's actually spelled really weirdly. It's spelled P O D Y U M dot C A. Um, and it's pronounced podium. Um, so it's a popcorn company. It's pretty, it's like a healthy popcorn company. We use nutritional yeast as our, um, topping on the popcorn so it's geared towards athletes and uh i try to i try to market directly to them so when i uh, so podium popcorn i'm not going to use social media for just because podium popcorn is like it's completely owned by me and uh i feel like i i'm kind of uh making the business in my own image here so um for podium i'm going to be doing a lot of like face-to-face advertising and uh marketing that way. So, um, yeah, that one's definitely, uh, like my own little project on the side. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. It's, uh, I'm actually sitting at my desk and there's a whole bunch of bags and labels all over the place. Um, so it's just getting started. It's not live yet. Um, but it's been a pretty long road. I started it in January and now in June, almost July, um, I'm almost there. I just sent my popcorn out to a lab to be tested. So I'm going to wait to see what my nutrition label is and uh, what my shelf life is. So it's really, really close. My website's live. Um, I've sold a couple uh, bags just to like friends and family who, who are um, asking for opinions of. I also sent a couple bags to a couple uh, national team members. So seeing what they think. But generally, I'm trying to get to the, the athlete audience and prove that popcorn doesn't have to be in the snack aisle. You know, it belongs in the organic food aisle or something like that. So um, that's, that's my one business. The other is with my training partner and um, it's actually a training program uh, website. So it's called podium partners. And uh, I realize that the, the names are a little bit similar there. Um, but basically we're going to be selling. Or... Yeah. Yeah. The second one's okay. the regular spelling. <laughs> yeah. Um, so podium, sorry, podium partner. We couldn't get the domain for partners, so it's ah, just partner. Okay. Um, com, and uh, that one is uh, so we're selling training programs to competitive youth climbers, which um, I think we are really interested in because we are we're in the exact same position as our clients will be. Um, 
a long time ago. Um, when we both first started climbing, we would have paid any amount of money for a training program from like a national team member. Um, so we're just trying to make some programs. We're probably going to make some eBooks and, and videos and stuff like that. Um, and then sell those online. So that one's uh, a little bit closer to home. Um, but we're pretty excited about, about the prospects of that one. So how do you organize like your week or your day? It seems like yeah, you have so many things on your plate and sometimes it's a little, a little bit hard. You know, you got this project and you, you think a lot about that project, then you, your, your attention gets caught on something else and you're like, okay, I'm going to focus on that. So how do you actually think about planning your schedule out for the week? Yeah, um, I've had a lot of difficulty with that recently because um, I also am studying to be a personal trainer. Um, and then I also am doing a uh, math course online before I go to university. So um, I do have quite a few things. I'll say the, uh, the actual studying stuff, so the personal training and the math, have taken a big dip. I used to be really consistent about them until I had the second business. And now um, I find that I'm, I'm just you know, doing a couple minutes every couple days of the math and the personal training. So I'm definitely trying to get that back up to uh, the same level as the others. But uh, weekly, I, I, uh, when it comes to training, I have five days a week that I train. Um, uh, one, two, three of them are double sessions. The other two are single sessions, um, with one of them being a possibility of a second session. So I have two rest days a week, and those two rest days are very important when it comes to doing other work. So usually on my rest days, I try to do a lot of popcorn sales, um, just because I need to physically drive my popcorn over to people who buy um, within the town, just because it's really expensive to ship um, boxes when it's only like a couple minute drive down the street. So uh, I do a lot of that uh, on rest days. And then I also try to, now that I've realized that my personal training is uh, dipping a little bit, I've tried to do a couple hours of personal training studying on rest days as well. Um, but yeah, like in between, uh, so I, I wake up pretty early. So I like to do a little bit of work before I start the day. So I'm usually doing um, email emails in the morning um, because I have a, a blog. I have to uh, respond to whatever people have to say or comments or, or direct messages and stuff like that. So um, I spend about an hour in the morning just responding to those. Um, then I go off to the gym. I usually walk to the gym. It only takes about an hour and a half to do my first session. Um, meditate, come back. Wait, so what time uh, do you, what time is your first session again? Yeah, so my first session will be usually around 9 o'clock, and I'll finish around 10, 30, 11. So you spend about um, two hours doing all those administrative stuff, or? Um, probably one hour. I guess, yeah, if I wake up pretty early. I usually um, make my breakfast, which takes a little while, and then I uh, make my recovery food. So I make like this yogurt parfait so that I can put that in my backpack when I go to the gym so I can have it immediately after my session is done. Right, so then between your first session and your second session, so do you like just rest or do you like get back to actually um, doing your businesses or even like just study? Yeah, I definitely have to do some work between the sessions. Um, lately, it's been a lot of uh, business stuff. So it's been the uh, podium training, podium partner um, business. So I'm writing blog posts and I'm uh, like editing stuff and all that sort of thing. 
Um, so I try to do that a little bit. Sometimes I'll do a little bit of personal training between the two sessions, but it's usually just business stuff between. Um, in addition, since I do train with my one partner, sometimes we'll have meetings between the two sessions because he'll do two sessions with me as well. Um, and we'll get some of that done. Um, but in the evenings, I find that I'm really not, um, like focused enough. Like I find like I, it's been like a whole day of, of training and working and, uh, I have gotten to a nice routine of doing like a movie in the night and having some nutritional yeast popcorn. Um, so I, I like to, I don't, I don't think I want that to change just because I do really need that mental break from work all the time. But, uh, if I happen to get back from the gym before five o'clock, um, then I'll try to do some probably personal training or math before dinner. Um, and then once dinner ha happens, I usually am um, just relaxing for the rest of the night unless um, we're not doing a movie that night. And then I'll just um, probably do a little bit more personal training, uh, studying. Yeah, that sounds like an intense schedule. Um, do you foresee yourself doing such a similar schedule when you start college or I mean, or university? Yeah. Yeah, um, well, I've definitely thought about it um, a lot. I, to be honest, like right now, you know, just looking at, you know, my schedule, I'm not really excited to go to university. Um, just because you can I, do delay I'm, or? Yeah, so I, I'm on the gap year right now. So I haven't, I, uh, I graduated last June. And so it's been about a year since I, I've been out. And I'm going to take one more year just because I, um, like I haven't even applied yet. So I missed the cutoff for September. So I'll have to do it next September. Um, but obviously my personal training will be done by then. Um, I won't have to study math anymore cause it'll be, um, like I'll, I'm just trying to study the math to get the uh, proper credentials for the university program I'm looking at. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I'll, I mean, I don't want training to, change at all like it's it's probably the most important thing in my life and uh um like especially right now when you you really only have until you're like 30 35 to to be really really good at sports so i really am trying to take the most of the time i have right now to focus 100 percent on training um with school i'll probably have to um either hire a couple other people for my popcorn business which by then two years in i'll i'll hopefully have a lot of uh like a little bit of revenue to, to play with there. Um, the podium training, uh, uh, podium partner website, I'll probably um, be in a good position to keep doing that when I'm in university. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a little bit of juggle and I'll probably have a little bit of a learning curve to uh, figure out what my schedule needs to be at that time. But based on the fact that I've, I've managed to do what I'm doing right now, um, I, think, I think I'll find a nice little uh, routine to settle into when I'm in university. Yeah, cool. I mean, I'm a computer science major and prior to starting university, I also had tons of things on my plate, just, you know, just things down to work on every day. And when school started, I was like, crap, I don't have time for all that because it was just taking up so much time. So yeah, just may I know like, what are you studying or what do you plan to study? Uh, computer science, actually. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You got you got to like just pluck out some time for this shit, man. Yeah, it's gonna take a lot of time. Um, like, uh, because just debugging programs just take out so much time. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not necessarily passionate about computer science, but mm -hmm. it uh, is a pretty uh, viable industry these days. So I figure might as well jump on that boat. Yeah. Um. 
well, it. I mean, just my just my opinion or my advice since I'm like in my final year, like. I I think if I were to redo like university, I'll probably just do like some um. I'll just probably major in math, and if I have the time and like do another major in philosophy, and I think I can just take out some programming courses on the side just to learn how to program. I don't feel that you should you know do a computer science major for the sake of doing a computer science major. If you're looking more for like um the the framework to think about things, I think like math is a great major to look into. It's not popular because like it's not a sexy major at least not in where where I live, but it it gives the foundation to like going to like physics or chemistry or or even computer science that yeah that's a lot more true. flexible. So you may yeah. want to consider, but but math isn't an easy major. So so yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely have a couple friends that have done uh, math. Um, one one friend of mine is uh, she graduated from just a like a straight up applied mathematics with a minor in uh, in co- uh, computer science, and she has a really nice job. She's like a developer or something like that. Um, so yeah, there's definitely like there's definitely avenues to pursue. I haven't obviously done much uh, research into like university programs or anything like that. I've just kind of had this this idea out there, but. Um, yeah, like it's still up for up for debate for sure. Right. So, um, just just a curious thought. Do have you ever thought of like um, delaying university press until post your um, competitive career? Yeah, um, I definitely have. Um, the only issue would be like if like what if my com- uh, like I'm wondering when it would end. Like I don't know when the uh, like when the time will be that I actually stop competing. Like it could be when I'm like 35. And um, I just like, I think that's a little bit late, at least for me to start university. Um, like the issue is I don't want to start university. Like say, say I wait and I keep doing, you know, the college or the professional climbing route. And then I, you know, become a really, really successful climber and I'm 26 and I'm like, Oh shoot, I probably should go to university now. It's getting kind of late. And then, like, I just don't want my university to happen at the most, like, at the busiest point in my um, competitive career. Um, but, yeah, I think 30 is a little bit, like, late for me um, to start this thing. In my mind, I think finishing university just before you're 30 is probably a good idea. Why um, do? Yeah. Um, well, you'd have to, like, I feel like I'd have to start, like, if I'm, so let's say I'm going into math, I feel like I'd have to start from the beginning in terms of experience. Um, like, I'd have a lot of experience to have to gain, and I'll have none of it with the, uh, with competitive climbing. So, um, you know, like, starting from the beginning at, like, 35 with experience, like, say I have my degree, uh, four-year degree at 35 years old, um, then I'll have to spend the next couple of years actually getting experience in the field, doing some like lower level jobs, and then eventually get to the higher level jobs when I'm like mid forties. And I just, I guess I just pictured myself like having that, that nice job, um, in my thirties at some point. So, um, like, I guess that's just personal opinion. Of course I could do it when I'm in my forties. Um, but I guess I just always pictured myself a little bit younger when I had, um, a higher paying job like that. So it seems like you you want like the kind of um career progression for yourself post your um climbing career, right? Yeah. Cool, but do you think you'll be uh? It's just a personal uh, question I have. Do you think you'll be happy or because 
I think there's there's a huge difference between as an athlete, you you are very incentivized to train for yourself and you have very clear results from the effort you put in. So there's very um direct correlation between your input and your output. But I I realized that um as an employee or even at a big firm or even at a small firm, there's you are incentivized to just, you know, clock in the minimum hours and it's 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 not that part of your life like you're not obsessed about it so do do you feel that you'll be comfortable with that or yeah i mean it really depends on like what job i'll eventually get like in the end i don't know really what i want to do um like most of my friends like when they got out of uh, high school they were like yeah i'm gonna do this and this and this and when i first got out of high school i had no idea and i still have no idea like i'm just thinking you know, where is the money basically? Um, or where can, where, where is the best potential for a really interesting job? Like I know, um, like the major tech companies and all that have those really comfy jobs where you, you know, the dream of working, you know, 22 hours a week, you're hundred percent remote. Um, you got all these fun little benefits on the side. Like that seems really like the life that I'd want something that's really hands off. Um, you know, minimal, minimal time commitment so that I, you know, have time for training. Um, and obviously it pays pretty well. Um, so that's really what I'm going for. If like, if at the end of the day I get a computer science degree and then I end up going into like, let's say my, my podium partner business takes off there. Um, like it really, it really doesn't matter what it is as long as like, it's, it's something that frees up time for me. Um, I think like, to be honest, I'm really liking the business life here, even though I've only had about six months in it. Um, but I could see myself, you know, having my own business or maybe having my own, um, like software, um, whatever it's called. I don't even know the terminology. Um, software engineer or yeah, like some sort of, uh, like company tech company or something of my own. Mm. Um, but yeah, like whatever it is, like life is going to be very, very unpredictable and there's going to be things that happen that I can't even think of or whatever even consider right now. Um, that'll happen. So, um, I'm really, uh, I'm in the, the boat of, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm just trying to make sure that I'm, um, well-equipped to, to deal with it. And I'm, uh, in a place where whatever happens is a, is a good thing instead of a bad thing. Um, so just like putting up a couple of safety nets here and there and, uh, just leading myself towards, um, like a financially, uh, viable career. Um, whatever it happens to be, whether it's a business or I end up just going straight with, you know, professional climber and I just do talks for the rest of my life, whatever it is. Um, I just hope that it's, it's something that frees up time and lets me work remotely because in the end, I know I mentioned that I wanted to, uh, move to Germany for training for a little bit in the end, I would like the dream would be to work remotely from Germany. Yeah. I can understand that mindset because that's kind of like the mindset yeah. that I have is like um there's really not much point in working for someone else because you're just it's not your vision and I, mm-hmm. I think you, you don't feel that passion to actually want to work as hard or, or I mean as a student I, I kind of like I, I really like studying um competitive athletes and I just look at how they approach their life it's like um th- there's no clock off timing you get what I mean there's no point whereby you're like, oh I'm just going to eat all ice cream I want and and you know um yeah, after like 6 p.m. today, I can eat whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. It's more of like, how do I approach my day so that, you know, um, I'm fresh for tomorrow's training. And I think as an employee, that seems to be 
missing from from at least most people that I see. So I mean, I, I think I'm willing to bet you're more like going to end up just running your own businesses and and um probably just yeah never getting employed. I guess. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um. Let's move on to one last question before we end end today's conversation. So let's just talk about self image with you. Um. You know, um, you have this tension within yourself that you need to believe that you can be the best or you are the best, but at the same time, you you can't quite buy into that because that I suppose that wouldn't give you as much motivation for your training. So, we agree with me on that. And if so, you know how how you describe um how do you manage this tension within yourself? Yeah. So um yeah, there definitely is a tension there. Um. On the one hand, uh, I do like I, I need to be confident in my oh, there's my cat there. Um, I need to be confident in myself um, to be able to like do well at competitions. Like when I was saying that American competition I was at, um, like the biggest issue I had was I just wasn't confident that I could uh, like do the things that the other competitors were doing. Um, but at the same time, like there's a there's a really real part of me that like doesn't actually think that I'm quite an athlete, um, especially in, in, uh, climbing. It's a, it's a fairly, um, I wouldn't say easier sport, but, um, it's not quite as, as physically, um, like aggressive or, or, um, you don't really need to get quite as like big and buff and stuff like that. Um, like if you saw a professional climber walking down the street, you probably wouldn't look twice. Like I know that there's a, uh, our, uh, world champion, the female world champion, um, like you wouldn't notice that she's actually like the best climber in the world because you don't need to be big and you don't need to um, be any of this. Um, so I think that's been pretty tough for me because uh, like when I look into the mirror, like I just don't see like necessarily an athlete. Um, and that just could be me, you know, being pretty hard on myself. Um, like I know other people definitely do. Um, and like, I'm not like the, uh, I'm not the buffest climber out there, but I'm, I'm not like I, you would notice that I have some sort of uh, athletic background. Um, and yeah, like it's just, it's been tough as I'm trying to like navigate between, um, you know, trying to be an athlete and uh, trying to look like an athlete and trying to compete with athletes. Um, you just kind of have to put yourself in like this, this odd mindset where like you're never, you're never done, you know, working on yourself, like as a climber and an athlete, you need to always be, you know, like staying consistent with your training and you're always trying to get better. You're never, you're never, you know, where you need to be when it comes to athletic performance. Um, but at the same time, you need to step back and just remember that, you know, you've come this far, like you, you are an athlete at this point. Like it, there's no like one day where you become an athlete. It's, I, I think overall, like being an athlete is, is being consistent and showing up every day and trying really hard. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different athletes out there. Um, like the kids on my competitive youth team, like they, they're all athletes. Um, they might not be the, the most, uh, like disciplined of athletes. They might not have like the best diet. They might not have everything dialed, but, um, they definitely are athletes. And, uh, it took me a while to actually internalize with myself that I am an athlete. Um, but I think beyond, you know, what I look like, I think, um, the biggest part of being an athlete is actually that, that mental side and how you conduct yourself and how you think about your day-to-day life. Um, because athletes are an interesting breed of, of people where they, um, they're always trying to do, uh, the best they can, 
with what they, uh, what they have. And they're always trying to be the best version of themselves, whether that's in the training room or it's even at home. Like lots of athletes are always working on themselves, um, like mentally reading books and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that go into being an athlete, but, um, like what you look like is just a small part of what it actually means to be athletic. Cool. Um, speaking about books, are there any books that made a huge impact on your life? Uh, yeah. So actually the biggest, uh, book that's having an impact on my life was Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Um, it's not like the best book I've ever read, to be honest. Um, it's like a really good book, but the reason I say Ryan Holiday's book here, um, is because it was like my first look at, um, like meditation and stoicism and philosophy and all that sort of stuff. And it definitely laid the foundation for, um, being really in tune with yourself and honest. And, uh, of course, uh, ego, you know, it's a big topic in climbing, um, and all sports really, and all, all facets of life, to be honest. Um, and I think like, I, I definitely recommend that book to anyone who's starting off or getting started at anything, because it's a really good introduction to a lot of really deep ideas and it can get you thinking really easily about your life because it has so many different examples, um, and so many different topics that it goes through that it's such a good, like beginner's guide to philosophy. Um, and for me, it had a really, really big impact on uh, how I began to think about training and sports. And, you know, it, it really got me to be really vocal and honest. And um, like, I really do communicate with, with other people a lot um, about, you know, reasonably sensitive topics um, because I'm just so comfortable um, talking about that kind of thing. And, and uh, I understand, you know, what I'm thinking. Um, because of really the foundations of that book. Um, so Ryan Holiday, he's also, he also has uh, Stillness is the Key and uh, The Obstacles Away, which are, they were, they're all in like a series of books. Um, and they're all like really, really good for the same reasons. So is there any particular um, lesson that stands out to you the most? Um, yeah, so there's this one chapter. I actually read it um, before like the, um, I, it was during the finals round at Canadian Open Boulder Nationals in 2019. Um, I actually took that book in with me to isolation and was reading chapters between climbs. And um, there's one chapter in specific, it's called The Dangers of Early Pride, that really helped me get through the round. Um, so the 2019 Nationals was actually probably my best competition I've ever done. It was right after I deleted social media. And um, it was my first time making it to the podium at an open uh, national championship. And uh, that book or that chapter is kind of, um, it's like a really good chapter for if you're in, in a position where you could have, um, you could think you've already won. Um, I know there's this quote in it. It's um, something like, uh, uh, the, the moment you lose is the uh, moment you think you've won or something like maybe reversed in the order. Um, but it really, it really helped me get through problem one, two, and three um, because I was in a very big lead when I started that competition. And uh, I was competing against some people who have actually made like finals at World Cups, which is some of the, like one of the biggest achievements you can really achieve in, in sport climbing. Um, and basically I didn't think for a second, you know, like, I'm not like, what am I doing here? How am I beating her? Like, this is not supposed to be happening. 
because I was reading that chapter on early pride and I thought, you know, just because I have a lead does not mean I've won. And I just kept repeating that myself over and over again. And I had like the best performances possible on the first three boulders. Um, and unfortunately the fourth boulder, I ran out of chapters. I'm not going to blame it on the book, but, um, uh, the fourth, the fourth, uh, climb, I, I almost, I was in such a lead. Like I was beating everyone in the competition by a couple attempts. And, um, when I got to that final boulder, I thought, uh, like I have the potential to be national champion right now. And then I thought to myself, I like, that's not me. Like I'm not the national champion. Like she's the national champion. Um, and I almost like convinced myself not to do the boulder. And, uh, I only got halfway up the boulder and I couldn't finish it. Um, and she, the, the one who became the actual national champion, she did actually get the boulder on her first try. Um, and that I kind of kicked myself for convincing myself not to, to climb the, the boulder um, because it was definitely something I could have done. Um, but I just wasn't in the right uh, headspace to, to actually commit to actually like commit to, to winning the competition. I almost didn't want to because I, I wasn't at that uh, point in my life. But I'm almost glad that happened because now going into competitions, it's never going to happen again. You know, like I, you know, anyone can win on any given day. Right. So um, it's, it's important now that I, I kind of step aside and don't even think about results or anything like that, because like egos, the enemy says, um, you know, the moment you think that you have won is the moment you've lost. So I, I try not to think about the results as the competition's happening. I think about results a lot afterwards, um, sometimes before, but um, yeah, during the round, it's only about each boulder. Um, and I'm trying, even if I have like an early lead, it's really important that I like keep that down and I, I don't even think about it because um, before that book, I really had a lot of uh, problems um, when I had early leads. Um, in, that, in the qualifier round of that actual competition, I actually... Uh, I got the first four boulders on my first try and I had one boulder left and it was the easiest boulder. And, um, because I had such an early lead, I actually like messed up the boulder. Everyone got it first try, except for me. Um, I ended up getting a second try, which put me in second place going into uh, semifinals. So, uh, yeah, that was probably the biggest impact on my training I'd say from the book. Um, but there's tons of other things that I uh, apply to my life in general that I've gotten from the book. Yeah, so it seems like you have grown a lot as an athlete or even as a person throughout the years. If you were to like go back five years and give a piece of advice to yourself, what would that be? That's a good question. Um, I would probably say um, don't like doubt the program because looking back, um, I doubted what I was doing almost like weekly. Um, my program for training is a lot about, um, like less reps and more weight, which was really hard to wrap my head around because I thought, you know, you should, you know, why am I only doing like four reps with, with a hundred pounds, uh, for a pull up or something like that. And I was like, every day I'd think, is this enough? Am I doing enough? Am I going to get to where I'm going? And knowing that I, that it was where I was supposed to be going. And, um, the fact that I was training strength at the, the, the most important time to train strength. Um, I think the fact that I had so much doubt um, growing up, um, even though I didn't um, ever act on the doubt, I think the doubt itself was something that limited my competitions a little bit. Um, just knowing in the back of my head that I wasn't 100% confident in my training program um, 
maybe had some impact in, you know, how I, how I uh, spoke with competitors. Like, for example, I, I would very often uh, ask competitors what they were doing for training because I was really concerned that um, I wasn't doing the right thing or I was doing something that was too different or something like that. Um, but, you know, looking back, it worked, you know, and uh, there's no reason I should have been doubtful of anything I was doing because, um, you know, I've gotten so far just based on that one program. So if I were to go back, I'd definitely tell myself, don't doubt the program. It works, you know, have some faith, you know, so just getting rid of the doubt in my mind. Right. So is that a weightlifting program or? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's going to be available for sale on Podium Partner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, actually my early program didn't have much climbing in it, which actually was probably the biggest mental barrier there because I was like, I'm only weightlifting. Like how, like, how am I going to get better at climbing if I'm not climbing? But hmm. the, the thing to remember is I wasn't trying to get better at climbing. I was trying to get stronger so that later I could get better at climbing. So it was all about just following the program and sticking to it. And yes, po Podium Partner is probably going to have a little bit of overlap with that initial program. Yeah, that should be your first like program they release <laughs> on the site. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the foundation program, that, that should be like its name. But exactly, cool. <laughs> the foundation. Yeah, I don't want to take up more of your time. So um, thanks so much for your time today. And if listeners want to find you, where should they go? Like your website? And I yeah, know so, that yeah. social media free. So what's your website? Exactly. So it'll just be madisonfisher.com. And can you repeat like the websites of your two businesses that are starting again? Yeah. So my popcorn business is podium.ca, P-O-D-Y-U-M.ca. And the other is trainingpartner.com, um, spelled the normal way. It's podiumpartner.com, right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.